Good day and welcome to The Effect Podcast, episode 151, kicking off the OGL explosion. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And we we promised you a shorter episode this episode, but we have managed to pack this program out with, frankly, two episodes worth of stuff. You thought um, the last episode was long. Just wait for this one, guys. This is a, <laughs> <laughs> this is a bumper episode. Yeah, and it's my fault, actually. It, it's it's, it's always that I had I had long arranged to have one of these interviews that we're going to be sharing with you uh, in this episode, carefully planned as part of my trying to just be a bit more organised about our content and spread it out nicely over the year. And then somebody else came up and they launched a blooming Year Zero game on on Kickstarter, Kickstarter. and so we've got to cover it, and we've got to you know we've got to cover it when it's on. So um, we've rammed, rammed two interviews into this episode. What are we talking about today then, Matthew? Well, I'm about to tell you what Seeing we're talking you've, about. You've leapt straight into the, yeah, the, the, the later part of the episode. You're not, you're not. Yeah, but that's fine. That's the way I roll, Dave. <laughs> just, just to reference a conversation we had a little bit before this, because we always forget who should open the episode. We suddenly realised that um, I... I open all the odd episodes and Matt opens all the even ones. And the way we characterise it is that I am odd and Matt is odder. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. No, yes, no, we, we didn't. did. We just character. I'm characterising it as Dave is odd. That's all I need to remember. <laughs> anyway, shall, do you want to, come on. We, we, we've got to keep this tight today because we've got so much fun. Yeah, we have. We have because this is a long episode. I was just saying that. <laughs> it's got twice as much content as we should have. Get on with it then. So, uh, obviously, shortly we will say thank you to our new patrons, and uh, there's a lot to talk about there, so let's um, move on quickly. Then we've got the world of gaming, and again, there's quite a lot to talk about there, so let's move on quickly. Right, Dave? <laughs> Moving on Tell quickly. us about our new patrons. So, we've got a, oh, a, a, a bumper load of new patrons uh, this time around, so a great big thank you to Carl Under uh, from Sweden. Thank you for, for joining we, Thank uh, you, Carl. Um, Roland A. Galt. Uh, we also have Arna Salberg, uh, Liam Beaton, and I'm not sure if this is actually part of his official name, but Beskar Tom Cantwell. Um, so I put those in because it's Tom Cantwell on, on the Patreon, but it's Beskar Tom on our Discord. So <laughs> I thought, you know, it's a great name as well. So let's let's call him Beskar Tom Cantwell. That sounds good. Thank you, thank uh, you, Tom. And thank you, everybody, even those of you without a nickname in the title. Yes, thank you all. Uh, and also, just to say, we've had a few people leave us uh, this month, but a great big thank you to everybody. Um, if you get the chance to come back, then that will be brilliant. But we, we like to see um, all our patrons join us on our Discord, because that's where that's where we get the real value and that's where I think our patrons get the best sort of interaction. And we've got a great little community building up in our patron discord. Now we've got 50 or more people in total and there's uh, games being run. There are games being designed that need playtesting. There are conversations about pretty much everything you can think of and um, the more the merrier. So if you do wish to join us and support us, then please make sure you join our discord because that's where the real fun is. Yeah, and who join the Discord, uh, just put your Discord username, whatever it is, into Patreon when you sign up. And then the Patreon bot does it all automatically. And we say, welcome, 
to <laughs> you as you arrive on the Discord. I think you might not even be on the Discord when, when the Patreon bot does that, but we still say welcome anyway. Of and I, you, just to reiterate what you've said, I do think we did a bit of reminiscing uh, last time. And I'm going to do a bit more reminiscing, but I think it's an important bit of reminiscing. When we set up the Patreon, we said we wanted to build a community around the games we all love. And of course, there are lots of communities out there, but I do think that our Patreon community is genuinely communal. And mm. it's it's a wonderful interaction of all sorts of interesting and supportive and generally lovely people. Yes. So, yeah, if you want to get best value out of your patronage, of us thank you very much for your patronage but if you want to get the value for it join the discord as well and meet all these lovely people yeah also um patrons get the opportunity to uh, be involved in our two streams that we're running at the moment so matthew you're doing the mercy of the icons and i've just started um an alien colony campaign called the colony uh, originally enough and these are for our patrons to uh, to join as players so if you're interested yeah. in any of those then Join us, sign up for those, and you'll get onto those games. But, of course, where we organise that is on the Discord. So yes. get on the Discord if you're a patron. Yes. And then we can talk about playing games with you as well. Yeah. Um, but and just... I particularly wanted to do, of course, most of our streams are timed for um, when we're off in the evening and able to play a game in GMT time zone. But I do want to run at least one sequence of the cyclade dance which is what we're going to be doing over the summer in in the coriolis stream for our american patrons who always feel slightly miss out because they're all at work while we're playing games so you know we can be flexible in that regard uh, just tell us you want to join a game and we will try and work around you yes absolutely we are very keen we do have we have, we've got a worldwide um community um so it's it's definitely something <laughs> time zones I've never been more important in my life than they are now. So it's, yes. uh, it's, um, it's a great thing. And we will definitely want to cater for that. But just I just on... realised that my favourite, and it, not my favourite, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not at all a favourite watch face on my watch, but it is the one that does the time zone thing and they can look up other time zones. That's the one that is most often the one that is, is operational on my watch. Now. Yeah. And one thing we mustn't, we mustn't forget to remember <laughs> is our current competition for a two-sides adventure. Yes, 1,500 words or thereabouts, but as long as it fits on two sides... Um, 1500 words or less is what you mean to say. <laughs> 1500 words or thereabouts could be 2000 words. No, 15, 1500 words or thereabouts could be 1550. Ooh, but it could be 1565. And then where do you go from there? 75? You might as well do 1600 words then. 1500 words or less. But a bit of clarification here, uh, uh, as it has okay, been asked okay. already. Uh, if you want to generate pre-gens, they don't count as part of the 1,500 words. Yeah, including their agendas. As long as their agendas aren't 1,500 words each, <laughs> if you're having agendas. Or your and if you want to add maps and stuff like that, the words on the maps don't yeah. add to your total either. Yeah. So you can go, it's two sides of adventure, and then other stuff can be added if you like. But yeah. They've got to be characters, maps, that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Cool. And, and the deadline for that, of course, is coming up now. It's the 15th of March. Monday, the 15th of March. Yep. And do send them by email. Yes. And where do they send them, Matthew? 
They send them to feedback at effectpodcast.org. And remember, of course, to spell effect with a K. Yeah, if you need reminding by now, surely you know that it's effect with a K by now, guys, don't you? But just to be yeah, careful. Yeah, we, we get new listeners every time, mate. I know. Get new listeners every time. We are a growing audience. <laughs> Actually, on the, 7th of, uh, on the 7th of March, um, it will be uh, a year since we moved... Um, moved uh, podcast hosts so it'll be time then to take stock of how many downloads and stuff we've had over yeah. that time and compare it with previous years interesting so, um, cool look forward to seeing yeah. it right then let's move on um but now i was just going to say i mean we want to move on and talk a bit about world of gaming i think the first thing i just want to very briefly reflect on and do a little bit of uh you know marketing for i guess is um Alien the Colony. We had our first full episode last night, Thursday, the, what was that, 25th of February. And um, it, it seemed to go really well. I was I was a bit... So I guess my challenge as the GM for this is I've got to create a, a good and satisfying story that's going to run in two or two and a half hours for a group of players that will probably never be the same for each episode, which is absolutely fine. But making that into a, a satisfying alien story, particularly when every alien story out there, pretty much, not every, but the vast majority is a cinematic that ends in a really dramatic finale where people die. Um, and it may well be that people coming to watch this are half expecting that kind of finale. So it's, it's trying to make sure that this game plays out really well, still has some you know, threat or challenge, um, interesting stuff to learn without having half the cast die. Uh, and I think yeah. it went I think it went well yesterday. Um, I was very pleased with it. The players really got involved. The, the, the people we had watching seemed to really enjoy it and got really stuck in in the chat as well, which is great whilst the game's running. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a, 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 um, a, a, I guess, a, a call out again for anybody who's interested. These run every second Thursday. So the next one is in, in two weeks on the... What does that make it? The 11th of March, I think. Um, yes. 8.30 GMT, uh, sadly, for our... Which I think might be your wife's birthday as well. It is. Sorry if that's your password too. Sorry. <laughs> it's, no, no, it's not my... No, no, I've never used dates of birth of passwords. I've, I've moved beyond that. <laughs> I use pet names now. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't really, by the way. <laughs> Before everyone goes, right, let's try logging in. It's okay. I use the word password because nobody will ever think of that. <laughs> Yeah. hiding in plain sight is that what you're doing yes excellent um yes so that is that is my wife's birthday that might be an issue actually i hadn't really kind of thought that through yeah i just thought i ought to remind you of that thing the thing i need to remind myself to do is actually publicize um uh, those games more um you know obviously when when i put the game into youtube i then share that link with everybody but normally on the day of the game I, I will share that link on Twitter and on Facebook too. And I didn't yesterday. So thank you, the audience who turned up on a, on a link that I put out a week ago. Um, mm -hmm. I will try and uh, remind people that it's coming more often um, nearer the time in the next episode. Yeah, we, we do put out the links on, on Facebook and on the uh, Alien Discords and the Free League Discords. So you can find them there as well under the Games, Podcasts, Shows um, tabs. Uh, discussions on those on those sites so yeah plenty of places to find us excellent but, yeah that's all i wanted to say about that but there's loads of other stuff to talk about in the world of gaming isn't there matthew 
Well, Kickstarter, I think this is going to be quite a Kickstarter-heavy episode generally. And, of course, the big news uh, for us Free League fans is the record-breaking performance of the One Ring Kickstarter. Mm. So as now, of... it's not for everybody, I think. You know, uh, there's a whole bunch of our patrons, for example, who aren't backing it uh, because, you know, they're Year Zero fans or for whatever reason. I'm backing it because I love it and I love everything mm -hmm. that Year Zero do. As, uh, as of this yeah, moment, but... we are looking at 10,774 backers. And this is 9.40 on Friday, the 26th of February. And it's £949,000 pledged, which is going to be what, yeah. about $1.3 million, something like that. Yeah, which I think <laughs> is pretty close or even beating what 7th C did when that was a record-breaking mm. um, RPG Kickstarter. Yeah. And there's yeah. still uh, days to go. How many days does it six, say? Six days to go. Six days to go. A week to go. Um so yeah, where will it get to? And, and generally, with the with the with the arc of these things, if you if you um, draw them out, or you don't have to draw them out, you can look them up on Kickstarter or on KickTrack. Um, the arc of these is a, a big, big launch. Everybody bundles in at the beginning for the first couple of days, then a quieter uh, mid period, yeah. and then another little peak at the end. So, mm. uh, what will it hit? In six days' time, and it's going up as we as we speak. I've got it on my iPad here, and the the pledge just keeps rolling upwards. Wow! So yeah, wow! Excellent stuff. Um, so um, so congratulations to everybody involved in that. Um, but there are some smaller Kickstarters as well. There are. Uh, one of the one of the criticisms that um, a number of people uh, said of Free League is how dare you launch your big behemoth game in the middle of February when ZineQuest. it's ZineQuest. Yeah. Um, now, I honestly don't think it has done ZineQuest any harm at all. Lots, lots more zines, I think, have been successfully funded this year and will be by the end of the month than in the previous two years. It's really good to see this community content building and... And the ZineQuest community all supporting each other, cross-promoting each other. Um, and I think we should have a special mention for... Um, uh, I can't even say it. I, for I've someone's... forgotten how to say octopus in Latin. Cephalopod. Cephalopod. It's because I've misspelt it on my notes here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Cephalopod Ocean Home, which is um, a zine created by the eldest child. Well, say child young adult, the eldest young adult of one of our patrons. And it involves um, mischievous octopuses trying to break out of prison. And it's exactly the sort of content you want to see on ZineQuest. It's, uh, there's some beautifully drawn art in it. It's got, at the last count, uh, something like 40 hours to run as we're recording. And so, uh, so if I get this out quickly, yeah. and I think we will. It has 50, then... it has 50 hours to go. It's, it's 50 it's, hours to go now. It smashed yep. it, so, smashed um, its goal. Yeah, as long as we it's, get this out by tomorrow morning, if you're listening to this as soon as it's downloaded, get on there. Help that little end of the campaign peak that all, all Kickstarters seem to have. And it looks like a really good fun game. It does look excellent. The artwork's actually really cool. I don't know whether, um, uh, whether Jason 
who's the creator whether he no did, he no, did the no they didn't or, do that no um it's one of their collaborators did that. yeah but it's lovely but, uh, it, looks, but it is lovely art and as you say it's exactly the kind of thing so it's it's a really small project it's a for them it's a i guess a pretty low risk project the yeah, the, the goal was was quite was very modest. It was you know three hundred and fifty quid or something, um, and again I think that's the point of the Zine Quest. You need to be below was it thousand dollars or thousand pounds as as your your pledge level, um, but it's it's the kind of thing that I think we really want to see more of. I think the Zine Quest thing is just great. I lo- I love the idea and the principle behind it. I think I can understand why some people were a little bit like what. Um, when the One Ring came out in that timing. But actually, I think also, I mean, not only have Free League turned around and done quite a bit of work now to promote the Zine Quest stuff, which is great, but also there's always going to be a big game coming out somewhere along the line. And I know the One Ring is probably, you know, at the bigger end of the scale for kickstarting, um, but there's always going to be something that might sort of knock somebody else's project to the side a little bit. But hopefully, the you know, the impact of that and, and Free League's response has has more than made up for for any concerns that people might have, um, and certainly for Cephalopod Ocean Home, um, it hasn't damaged that Kickstarter uh, at all. But get in there and back it if you're interested. And while you're in the Zine Quest, of course, uh, you should also back another one of our patrons' projects. Uh, people don't become a patron just to advertise their products on, uh, <laughs> it, it on seems, podcast. It seems like that. But moment, sometimes it? it might feel like that. But Craig <laughs> Duffy, who's been a friend of mine since before I can remember, it Lit- turns out, you'll hear about that in the interview. Literally. Uh, he has finally brought out Project Cassandra, which he's been working on since before I can remember. Um, <laughs> and that's turning into a lovely and really successful Zine Quest project. But let's not talk about that because we're talking about that with Craig later, on, later exactly. in the episode. Yeah. But there cool. is a week to run on it. What so else, get in there. What else do we have then on the world of gaming? Um, well, of course, then there's another. This isn't Scene Quest, but it's another Kickstarter and another one we're not really going to talk about because we're talking about it later in the programme. And that's from Christopher Gray. And that is, I think, the very first ever Kickstarted Year Zero game that hasn't come from Free League. Mm. And that is Temples and Tombs, which you may guess from its title is kind of Indiana Jonesy. But again, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that later later in the program. So finally, the last thing I think to mention is um, there there was a release on on various social media. I'm not sure where the best place to get it is. um, It's on DriveThru RPG. It's on DriveThru now, yeah. That's the best place to get it. Um, Of Year Zero Mini. Which is a uh, 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 a simplified, if that's possible, version of the Year Zero engine for um, uh, for anybody interested in getting into the game. And this is by uh, our our friend and somewhat friendly, our friend and evil nemesis, friendly evil nemesis Matt K of um, Mud and Blood Podcast and um, the Three Skulls uh, Three Skulls Tavern. And uh, yeah, so have you had a chance to look it over yet? Uh, well, I must admit, I looked it over in the free version, and there are two. You can go to drive through, and you can pick this up in a free and in a paid version. So, uh, the you know, his design principle for the game is: could he fit it on two sides of a piece of paper, folded into three, uh, gatefold wise, and 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 that's the three version, and it works fine. It's 
to be honest, it's a stripped down version of specifically something like Tales from the Loop. Yeah. So, so all the mechanics are really out of Tales from the Loop. Using conditions. But what there isn't, of course, is any of the. Um, well, because you've got, you've got conditions as a special mechanic in that. So, so the pushing isn't, uh, shall we say, very genre specific. And instead, you've just got a very simple player facing system that you can put into any one off game that you're running. If you just want to try something out, let's try this story. Let's pull out um, Year Zero Mini. What he's done for the paid version, I think, is quite interesting. And that's one that's formatted specially to go on your phone. Yeah. And indeed, you get two versions of it, one in dark mode and one in light mode, as it were. So whichever you prefer to use on your phone is what you can get in the paid version. And there's character sheets and other stuff as well okay. in that bundle. I, I like that little touch on the light and dark mode, actually. Yeah. That, that, you don't get that everywhere. And, and it doesn't bother me so much. But I know even from talking to, uh, to Frank on the show last night on the Alien the Colony, the, the light mode on, on StreamYard was bugging him. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, let's face it, it's not light mode. It's the only mode on the stream yet. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, a fair point. So, uh, yeah, StreamYard, if you're listening to this, and we know you are because we're your favourite customers, but if you're listening to this, yeah, work out some sort of dark mode. Yes. I'll put that in. I shouldn't, I, I meant to feed it back after the session last time and I forgot to, but we'll do that next time we do a session. <laughs> cool. Anything else in the world of gaming, or is that enough for now? I think we've pretty much covered the world of gaming, at least as far as I could remember. Yeah, uh, that's probably... We do have a lot, because we've got a lot of people in the Hammam today. So I think probably let's leave it there and press right on, shall we? Yeah, let's get into that Hammam, take our clothes off, get into the steam bath, <laughs> and meet our very first guest, Craig Duffy. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Craig Duffy, friend and friend of the show and patron of the show. Thank you very much, Craig. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Now, you are one of our players in the Hammam and uh, we invite players for an interview, uh, particularly when they've got something quite exciting to talk about. And we <laughs> understand you have something quite exciting to talk about. But first of all, we ask every player this. Tell us about your life in gaming. Uh, so I'm going to be different from most of the people you get on. I didn't actually start gaming till 2006, so quite recent compared to most of your guests. Um, well, if I'd, know, I, if I'd known that, we'd never invite you on, Craig. What the <laughs> hell? What's this all about? We want to hear about lives in gaming, what, not a what few kind of years. guest is this? Bloody hell. Yeah, <laughs> no. Okay. I didn't start till I started my PhD. Um, I'd always been on the edge of gaming. I used to do Warhammer. Um, I even LARPed before I did tabletop gaming. Cool. Which I can see the... That's an interesting trajectory. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I know many LARPers. Yeah. Um, um, we've all done a bit of LARPing at one point or another. We have. But then moved to Glasgow, started a PhD, joined the gaming society there dived in with Torg of all games. Torg? Mm -hmm. Wow. Blast and the Plast. Blast and the Plast. Um, got a plast. <laughs> a plast from the Bast, to Matt said. So it's just going really well, as always. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, got hooked thanks to an awesome GM who she made it just look so simple <laughs> and it made every session so enjoyable. And within the first year, I was switching from playing to GMing. 
learned the hard way how much she'd been hiding all the difficult stuff behind the screen. <laughs> um, and then it's been, well, I'd say downhill ever since, but an <laughs> addiction let's ever just, since. Let's just pause yeah. on talk because I don't think we ever played talk. Did you, Dave? I don't think so, no. And I, I think I understand it. I understand the basic concept. But for all our listeners, tell us about what talk was all about. So talk is a it's not dimension hopping, it's dimension spanning. You've got mm -hmm. the Earth that has been invaded by essentially generic settings from other a realities. Fantasy setting. Mm. A yep. so you've, got, type setting. you've got mm. fantasy, you've got cyberpunk, you've got techno demon sci-fi, you've got <laughs> uh, yeah. Hulk yep. magic Egyptians with Indiana Jones superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, you've got living land, which is dinosaurs um, worshipping a living goddess. Um, a bit of everything all invade the Earth. Mm -hmm. and you're trying to fight off reality, essentially, and save Earth. Um, mm -hmm. It is an epic setting and an epic game very much of its time. It was early 90s. It was first published. So there's, um, I think there's five different magic systems Oh wow! Yes, yeah. Was, was, was it designed? Was, is it really designed for students who are late at night smoking something they shouldn't be whilst they're playing this game? Because it sounds quite freaky. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because it's West End Games, so it's the same people yeah. that did yeah. D6 Star Wars. Right. Um, and was the system anything like D6 Star Wars? No, no, nothing. Right. It's um, it's a D20 based, but it's not. Sorry, it uses a D20. It's not D20 based. Um, you actually you roll and you compare your number to a table to work out what your bonus is. Oh, it's one say, of those very games. Much, right, very okay. much of its time. Yeah. <laughs> um, gotcha. And then last couple of years, there's obviously been a repeat, a new version, Torg Eternity, mm -hmm. that updates it. Came it. out from uh, Ulysses Spiel or something, wasn't it? Is yes. It yeah. 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 Um, the new version draws a lot of ideas from uh, Savage Worlds. Right. Um, keeps the basic system but updates it somewhat to a more <laughs> modern streamlined approach you mean no table <laughs> no rolling and checking against the table no they still have that <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I, I think there's still a there's still a place for doing that once in a while i think i i i dusted off my old victory games james bond which is on here somewhere and oh, um, I've, heard, I've heard tales got, about that that's got a big table in the middle of it but it's it's great game. We, we had a lot of fun playing it back in the day. I'll see if I can find the, the success table. Uh, but I do remember uh, that seemed to be relatively speedy, even though there was a quality table. results table, which is all about how your percentile die roll does whatever. Yeah. But Excellent. There's a place for it. I like it still. Yeah, there's there's certainly a place for it. I mean, I, I still love, I've still got the core books from the original game. Um, I, Became a bit of an addict hunting down the money bay. But... <laughs> yeah, I've stopped doing that nowadays. I just spent okay. too much money on old edition stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're buying so much new stuff. But we'll come on to new stuff in a moment. We we stopped at Talk Eternity. What what happened after then? What else were you playing? Uh, so I try and play a bit of everything. I don't play much D and D. Um, I think because I because I didn't get introduced through D and D, it just never grabbed me the way it does some people. 
Um, so I, I try and play a bit of everything, mostly traditional games, but with a lot of um, indie games at the moment. I'm just looking at my shelf. A lot of Cortex. Um, mm. so this is where you and I that. first met, because uh, I was running mm -hmm. the new Firefly. We'd played Serenity before years ago, Dave and I. Very yeah. good campaign that Dave ran there. But Firefly, the role-playing game, had come out with the Cortex Plus system. I remember I, I ran a game uh, at Dragon Meat, and you were sat at that mm -hmm. table. Well, I'd actually been sat at your Savage World version a couple of years oh, before. Oh, no, you're right. You beat the <laughs> Yes, yes. And you came but back yeah, for the, the, for I came the Cortex back. version. <laughs> It's a bit embarrassing, Matt, when you completely forget the first time you met somebody, it, especially on a live I'm sorry, stream. I'm sorry, it is. And now the whole world has seen it, but you're right. Yes, yes. I'm with, the problem mm. for me is they conflated both of those because they were exactly the same scenario. Yeah, mm. but two great fun <laughs> systems. And, and who did you play? Because we had the crew of Serenity there. I think I played Simon the first time and then maybe Jane the second time. Excellent. I certainly remember asking about grenades, so I probably played Jane. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did then. I'm sure you did. Hey, I, I can't remember who else. Oh, I can actually, of course, um, remember. Um, oh, it's gone out of my head entirely. Lloyd. <laughs> Lloyd, yeah. I'm doing so well. Uh, I can remember the person I can't remember. But then you can't remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lloyd, though, was was Captain Mal in that second version, wasn't he? Yes. Um, and the most enthusiastic Captain Mal I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I kind of feel well, pre-Battle of Serenity, Captain Mal. He was so enthusiastic. <laughs> I, I think Lloyd and enthusiastic is a, a pairing any game. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He is right. um, a whirlwind. Now, uh, <laughs> stop helping me with my early onset dementia and uh, move on, move on. The Cortex games you were playing. But I think back then you were mentioning Project Cassandra even then. Yeah, so so Project Cassandra, what I'm here to talk about, um, Kickstarting Zine Quest, Zine Quest at the moment. But yes, I started developing it in 2013, I think it was, <laughs> as a hack of Lady Blackbird. Which I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm Very not. simple, two-sheet game, isn't it? I believe. Yeah, um, it's it's a a prime example of how elegant game design uh, by John Harper, so Blade, Blades in the Dark creator. Mm -hmm. Just an amazing game. I'd come off that. I'd recently read the original Jason Bourne novels, <laughs> and thought, oh, this system would work for. You know, Cold War, Spies. Um, it was only ever meant to be a reskin for a one-shot for my group, and it just sort of progressed and drew me into game design. So tell us about Project Cassandra. What's the basic principle of Project Cassandra? So it's a game of the Cold War uh, about Cold War psychics that have had an apocalyptic vision and trying to prevent that from coming to pass. So the Cold War, the CIA especially, there was loads of secret, often illegal and highly dubious projects into remote viewing, mind control, um, teleportation, being able to walk through walls. Mm. And it essentially says, what if that was actually successful? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. those powered individuals have to save the world from a single apocalyptic event. 
And it's got a pretty clever sort of premonition system. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? So, yeah, um, what I knew I wanted to do was that have the ability of being a psychic woven throughout the entire game. So all the characters are psychics as well as having unique powers. So things like being able to teleport or throw cars in the air Hmm. or dodge bullets. Um, You have, it's called premonition. So that's the basic, the meta currency, but the game starts and you have a vision and then the characters get to add in details of this vision. So the GM sets out the scenario and then they go, oh, but actually this is what we saw, which changes everything. But because they're psychic, they know this in and out of character. Right. So you start the game with this vision of Kennedy's going to be shot by someone during his Ichbenang Belina speech. We saw an assassin coming out of this building and then the entire game is about building up to that moment that they've already predicted. Mm-hmm. Right. So then everybody's invested in getting to the moment that they've laid out on the table at the yeah. beginning of the game. And that moment, so that's effectively the so-and-so coming out of the building, is it? Or the assassination? The GM well, says assassination. They say, and we saw blokey boy coming out the building. So the, yeah, so the game always starts with a a vision of the future and it keeps things vague. It's like the president will be assassinated and then you might ask the question, right, where do you see the assassin escaping? Or how will, you saw the, the, the president being killed by a sniper. What's the backup plan? Um, Mm -hmm. So they have details, but they don't have everything. So there's no, oh, everything is going to happen at bish bash bosh. I'm just going to go to where the assassin will be. They need to work their way along. So this is a a kind of a a joint sort of narrative storytelling game. Yes. So it's GM led, but the players have a lot of narrative control. Mm. Um, Which is really cool. I I like, I like, I like that. My own real experience of that is um, 10 candles. But that, as a game, is fabulous. Yeah. Uh, so I, li- I like that very much. But the questions also let you set up scenes before that final vis- that final assassination. So, for example, you might say you saw yourself meeting someone at a diner on Highway 59. Why do you have to meet them? And right. I've had play- some players turn around and say, well, they're the backup assassin that we have to stop from getting there. And others turn around and say, they're a Russian spy that's got vital information and we need to convince him to tell us what it is. Mm. So <laughs> the influence of the players can totally derail, or not derail, because that's a bad thing. Totally change can, the direction. Yes. Yeah, um, form, form the direction that the story takes. Yeah, so one of, for example, one of the playtest scenarios that's included with the game is a bit more lighthearted, built around the Apollo missions and asked the question, what did they really do on the Apollo missions? Some of the players take it very serious and it's uh, really they were there to spy on a Russian mission that was highly classified. Sometimes you get, well, the Apollo missions were really there to investigate a possible alien crash landing site on the moon. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly you have giant robots and... 
we ended one game. Somehow, Nixon became a national hero after they rescued him <laughs> live on air to millions of people. From the moon, is this? Well, not, not from the moon in that particular one, but we had a giant NASA robot that had been reprogrammed by the Soviets who didn't want alien technology getting into the corrupt capitalist hands. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, have you ever had an experience where you've said, so why do you have to meet this person on Highway 52? And they've gone, yeah, I don't know. Not <laughs> really, but then, I mean... The response to that is you sort of guide them towards it. Mm. So you can say, well, what you need to meet someone at Highway 52, right? You don't know why then, but you see yourself in a fight against someone and you ask them right. to describe who they're fighting. And suddenly the question just changes and you establish mm. the scene in a different way. I, I guess for the game, that this, you very much, you know, your players know what they're letting themselves in for and are, are coming with a... Uh, you know, with the right kind of mindset and intention to actually want to tell some of the story themselves. So, you know, you shouldn't have to sort of lead your players by the nose too often, I guess. Yeah, that's certainly if, if um, all, part of it. Um, mm. But then one of the other nice things, there's other ways you can, there's rules for asking additional visions. So when they spend these premonitions, they might trigger a vision later in the game and you ask another question that um, introduces a new twist that they didn't see coming until then. Mm -hmm. So you might have, if they walk into maybe a meeting with a con congressman, have a vision of, right, you see the congressman's got a weapon in his hand. What is it? And suddenly the scene tone just changes from, we need to convince him to suddenly he's a threat. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and is it quite pick up and play then? I mean, could you, how much GM prep do you need to do apart from have that initial scenario in the, or the initial vision in your head and the, and the leading questions that, that get people generating stuff? I'd say that's all you really need is that mm -hmm. initial, I like to have a paragraph of the, the description of the vision just to set it out and then the questions. Um, but there's nothing to say that actually the players couldn't ask the questions to one another. The GM could say, right, we're doing a scenario about the Kennedy assassin assassination and then do a roundtable. Hmm. What are the questions? You could get your players to write down a vision each on a bit of card and then just randomly choose one. And that's how you start <laughs> yeah. the game. Yep. Yes. That's certainly a viable option. Hmm. So really low prep. In fact, no prep. Just bring a pen and some cards along. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all designed to have... A single mission. You can play it out in a single session and that's you done, told your story. Mm. You can extend it out to three or four for that mission. And it should still feel like you've achieved a mini campaign. Um, mm -hmm. And then if you want to pull it out longer, there's the, the idea of, well, actually, maybe there's a conspiracy behind all of this. Subsequent visions of unraveling that and revealing who's really behind it all. <laughs> so I see that um, you've got conditions that come into play. Um, and looking at the character sheet on here, your character starts with a load of skills and skill points, but you then, as a player, when you first use that skill, you choose which skill point you're going to put in there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that mechanic works? 
Um, yeah, so conditions, they are very much lifted from the ideas from Lady Blackbird. I didn't want hit points. I wanted to say, right, you are scared or mm. you're angry. Or the one that I really like is you are paranoid, <laughs> just because yeah. that builds into the genre. Um, so they just get marked off when you fail rolls. Um, the GM never rolls in this. It's all player rolls. So when so you fail on that. It's a bit like Tales from the Loop. Um, yes. Player mm. base rolls. If they fail yeah. a roll, they take a condition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all, again, it builds into the narrative. You, If you're going to, if you're being shot at, well, maybe you don't want to injure them straight off. Maybe they're getting scared because the bullets are whizzing past them. Yeah. And then you build up to the injured. Um, in terms of the skills, yes. Yeah, so you don't start with any pre-assigned skills. The first time you use a skill, you pick from your available list, say, right, I want to be good at this or I'm rubbish at this. Mark it down. That's your skill for the rest of the scenario. Mm. Two reasons I wanted to include that. First, again, this idea of your psychics and you tend to have the right skills for the job. Mm-hmm. So there's no point having a skill that you don't actually want to use. Yeah. The second was, again, coming from... I tend to go to a lot of cons, play one-off games. Just been having to have a little input in my character. Say, well, actually, right, I know I'm a an engineer, but I'm really good at sabotage. I'm going to play onto that, put all my points into that on the day and just change things up a bit. Mm. I like that. That's a really nice idea because mm. it's, it's true. Certainly at the cons, you always get pre-assigned characters and uh, you haven't got time to actually design them very often yourself. And then by doing this, you build your characters again. I like it very much. And I like that idea of playing to find out who you are mm. yeah. as well, which um, I kind of feel comes a little bit from, um, uh, you know, that that Nibiru, philosophy Nibiru. comes from, uh, I'm really struggling with names, Powered by the Apocalypse is what I'm trying to say, um, um, a bit. Yeah. But we've also seen it in the bureau and stuff mm. like that. Um, and it's something I remember wanting to do years ago. I wanted to have a, a role-playing game based on the Invisibles where you kind of pieced your character together and worked out who you were throughout the adventure. Because that's partly, of course, what the comic of the Invisibles is about. But uh, mm-hmm. there we go. Um, I was, you know, We mentioned a little bit about it being uh, kind of Cold War-based. Is there a particular time frame that you put it in? No, I've jumped about throughout. It's it's generic enough it could be in any of the time frames. Um, but what I tend to do is pick from real events. Um, so I, I mentioned the Apollo missions. So I use that as a, a jumping off point that people know about. They can ground themselves in it. I've got another scenario I said about JFK, the Ishbin Ein Berliner speech. Mm-hmm. Again, it's this it's something people know about, and then you can push it your own direction. Um, still haven't quite got around to a late 80s one. I keep wanting to... I've been watching um, the very good Deutschland 83 oh, yeah. series. Yeah. Um, that I want to do something maybe set amongst that fall of communism, sort of. But I Period, just don't that, quite yeah. have the right the right idea yet. Um so the, the 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 game as as backed. How many um, starting scenarios will uh, a backer get with that? 
So there's the two starting scenarios um, included, which are the Apollo and JFK Berlin yep. starting ones. So they'll come with vision, opening questions, and some guidance. And then I suppose this is a good point to talk about mm-hmm. future reveal for f- future That's stretch goals. Kind of where <laughs> I was going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're currently at just approaching the first stretch goal to move into full color print. The nice. next one after that at 1200 will be allowing me to up the uh, the rate that I'm paying my collaborator, MZ, who's doing the editing. The one above that, if we reach it, is going to be a trilogy of missions. So connected, an opening assassination-type vision, and then unraveling the conspiracy to further ones to do that. Still trying to decide on the um, the the jumping off point, the event that will trigger that. So I'll keep that under wraps for now. But <laughs> okay. so that will be five if we reach that. And those nice. last two are a sort of little mini campaign, aren't they? Then. Yes, that that's the aim. Nice. Now the, the reason why I'm kind of looking away is that I'm go logging into Kickstarter to up my pledge from just. Backing you because I like the idea, but actually backing it to get the game now. Because no, I want to. <laughs> I mean, we do this every time with Dave. Every I mean, time with Dave says, detail. I'm kind of interested in that game, but I don't think I'll be getting this one. And then we interview them, and suddenly he's going for the top pledge. <laughs> well, you can mm. quite, if you want to go for the top pledge of having a game run for you, that's uh, <laughs> very generous. Well, but... uh, I, given. Uh, given that we've got almost no time at all for games, I think uh, paying for games is going to be a real challenge. Um, how's the Kickstarter going? Wow. Um, <laughs> I just want to say thank you to everyone that's backed it. And I know there's a lot of Effect listeners on the Discord that have backed you backed it, and thank cool. you for that. Um, I started out with a goal of £400, and we'd hit that, I think, five hours in, which <laughs> I honestly, we're at two days in, and I thought we'd just be hitting it now, and we're nearly at 200, uh, sorry, we're nearly at 200%, which would, right. is eight, 800 pounds. It says and 761 at the moment, just having just upped my pledge. And not, <laughs> um, it's just been amazing, and I think so much of that is down to the, the Zine Quest community that's just mm. built up around this event. Um, everyone's been so supportive of everyone else's games and getting the attention. It's why I wanted to do it as part of this event. As a small creator, I don't think I could have done this in June. I Just getting eyes on it mm. um, is yeah. so difficult. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because David and I keep thinking we ought to do something for Scene Quest and then it kind of happens and we go oh we didn't do anything for zine quest. <laughs> <laughs> no. um your zine quest campaign lasts for two weeks yep. doesn't it so we're recording this just after the first weekend of your campaign um and it will go out right in the middle of that two-week campaign so listeners there's still time to pledge if you haven't pledged already um is that the same for all zine are you only allowed to have a two-week campaign if you're doing zine quest Yes. Um, so ZineQuest is an event Kickstarter started this its third year. This is its third year, yeah. Um, every February, short 
small goal campaigns, they tend to be around $500 to $1,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks. Um, it's meant to be a black and white zine, but yeah. a lot of people... Full color use... cover I'm looking at here. Uh, it's <laughs> going to be full, full color interior as well. A lot trouble. of people um, like to use stretch goals for upgrading. It's, it's, color, yeah. Right, nice. It's... It's quite loose in terms of the actual rules, um, mm. but there's been just the last couple of years a big community. I think by the middle of this month, we'd already surpassed the number of campaigns that the entire month saw last year. <laughs> mm. And there have been a lot of campaigns this year. And I know there was a little bit of, shall we say, disgruntlement that Free League bit of a released the One Ring right in the middle of Zine Quest. I mean, they were going to do it right at the beginning of Zinquest, but then things were delayed. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard the same. I'm, in, on one hand, I can understand people saying if, if they're running a campaign and they've seen people cancel the day after it launched, getting annoyed. But I think no matter when Free League launched, it was going to be, I don't know, what, they're half a million now? Uh, in, what the well, it depends is. what currency you're talking Cur- about. It's almost true. 10 million Swedish kroner. It's seven, eight hundred thousand now in pounds. Not far off a million quid, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't realise it got that far. I, that was going to happen no matter when they launched. Yeah. Um, and it was good. I did see that they'd done a tweet out to try and ask people to support small creators. Um, yeah, you were one of the first in the queue there to say... Yeah. <laughs> I was, Project yeah. Sandra. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I think, honestly, off the back of it, I've just been looking, I know, obviously, I'm a kind of apologist for Free League, and so is Dave, because, um, you know, that's what our podcast is about. <laughs> but well, I no, have it's, genuinely... but it's, not, it's not called Apologists for Free League, though, is it? So come on. <laughs> no, it isn't. No, and neither is it called Free League Shills, but we no. <laughs> uh, Although, as I always point out, we're not paid shills for Free League. No, Come on, would, Freely! It would be all right if we were, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah but, you know, <laughs> um, but, you know uh, coming back to the One Ring, I've seen a number of comments there about it being the people's first Kickstarter. And I'm not saying that everybody who's coming on there to buy uh, or um, the One Ring is immediately going, oh, and there's ZineQuest. But I think there's a crossover there. I think the two can exist side mm. by side. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think they have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's always going to be a big game launching every month. Yeah, I guess the concern is it's a bit like you know back in the day when the big blockbuster movies came out in the summer, you know the the, the little independents wouldn't bring their movies out at the same time because they didn't think they'd get as much you know as much viewership. But like you say, there'll always be a big game coming out just around the corner or during your campaign. Yeah, I think part of it was unless they were listening to you, obviously, a lot of people were caught out by the announcement of uh, mm. the one round. It did seem to come out of nowhere for some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess if you weren't looking at that, then you look up and you've got your game going. But I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't the most successful zine quest we've had, both in, as you've already said, in a number of publications, uh, campaigns that are running but in the money that's raised as well for yeah. zine creators and i think last year something like 90 plus percent of all campaigns backed 
Uh, yeah. successful, mm, successful. Um, which if you compare that to the average of any kickstarter has got to be well above average mm-hmm. um now we we should be keeping this quite short but i have another question which i'd ask which is really kind of technical about kickstarters and we we did this when we talked to Stu goff as well but i noticed you know you were only asking originally for 400 pounds yep and i kind of wanted to say how can anybody make a game for any 400 pounds it looks lovely you've got mm-hmm. beautiful illustrations you've got an editor that you've said you're involving there how have you worked out your finances without giving um, too much away? <laughs> that's a bit of a so, personal question well, isn't it yeah. no so i have asked for less than a lot of zine quest campaigns mm-hmm. um a couple of reasons um one mz my editor is a very good friend i've worked with her before so We've got a working relationship. Um, ah, so this is, is what the stretch goal is. Before the stretch goal, it was mates rates. And then... No, well... <laughs> <laughs> you're, yes. you're, not obliged, you're not obliged to answer, Craig. It's okay. It's, you can plead the fifth. That's fine. <laughs> um, the other reason... Uh, well, the other two reasons I'm able to do it at that amount, um, I'm using stock art. So everything art-wise that you see is stock art. Um, the character art is by a great artist called Jay Shields, and he does stock art for the RPG community. It's all on drive through so you can pick up a piece for so, three, four pounds. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the license to use it however you want. Yep. Which, which is brilliant. Um, people, nice. People should have yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. And he he's got a massive collection. He also does his own Patreon. If you in if you want stock art, I would have a look at that. It's really mm-hmm. recommended. Everything else has come from sites such as Flickr, Unsplash, all freely available. And then I've edited it using various tools to get the feel that I want. Yeah. Um, and then everything else I'm doing myself. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the joy of being an indie game designer. And while I could have got people on board and put the budget higher to pay for them, I thought this is my first Kickstarter. I want to keep control of it. Um, and also the last couple of years, I've learned to do so many different bits of it just because I can't afford to pay people a fair rate. <laughs> so I've yeah. been doing it myself. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, uh, you've been cool. developing it since 2013. Uh, so there's, what, eight years' worth of uh, salary in there as well for you? <laughs> uh, well, I say that. Um, I say since 2013. Um, I originally thought I was going to publish this 2015, and I brought it to Dragon Meat and I had a disaster of a playtest. Oh, oh no. I think I remember. I don't. I wasn't on that playtest, I assure you, but I remember you afterwards, and you were kind of a physical wreck afterwards. Yes. Really, really badly. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd essentially I'd changed, changed something in the system, not realizing it then broke something else in the system. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. essentially, you could not fail in action. <laughs> <laughs> so I put it on a shelf for three years and just did not look at it until I could... I know. Just bare rewriting it again, um, so it's not it's not continuous development since then. Right. Okay. Then. Yeah. So I would say um, though, one thing that I do like very much about it, um, the the way that you die, so that when you when you get your your four physical uh, conditions ticked off, 
you then you know you know the end is coming but you, you're not taken out of the scene you can finish the scene so i actually really yeah. like that as a, as a as a touch because normally you're just out you get that last one boom you're gone but actually this allows you to to sort of narrate a very heroic end to that character's life which i really like for that kind of game Yeah, again it's trying to play to the genre mm. you don't yeah. just you know if you have a, a spy movie you get you die it when it's appropriate dramatically yeah <clears throat> and, exactly. unless you're such a minor character that you wouldn't be playing them in this game mm. like any double yeah. o other than 007 they die straight away but <laughs> <laughs> Or not, as the case. Unless they're the yeah. antagonist, of course. And then, oh yes, yeah. of course. <laughs> then it turned out the death was faked. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this has been brilliant, Craig. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for telling us all about Project Cassandra. Oh, uh, thank you for checking. giving me the chance to. People can find you where if they listen to the podcast and they want to know more. You've you've got a Kickstarter page. Yep. So if you search for Project Cassandra on Kickstarter, you'll find that. Um, I'm most active on Twitter, hoodoo underscore voodoo. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in quite a few discords, mostly as hoodoo, just for keeping it short. Hmm. Or lunashadow.net, so that's L-U-N-A-R shadow.net. <laughs> and then finally, the other two places, drive through RPG and itch.io. Again, search for lunashadow designs. And People can download a playtest packet of Project Cassandra if they if they if they want to try before they buy. That's yep. on itch itch.io, isn't it? Yep, there's a 20 page playtest packet yeah. that has all the core rules. Some of them will change in the final game. Four characters, one of the scenarios that's included. Um, all there, it's all playable. So take it, have a look. And and then go back to the Kickstarter and put some money on the table. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I will actually just add one thing. The thanks to the backers of the Kickstarter, you can also for three now get what's so redacted about redacted, which was a little game I did last year inspired by Project Cassandra. And the backers of the campaign have unlocked it, made it a free download for anyone that wants it on itch.io. Cool. Brilliant. Lovely. Excellent. Well, thanks very no. much for joining us, Craig. Yeah, cheers, Craig. Oh, and thank you. So I think the first thing I'd like to say is, uh, with the comments right at the start of that interview, um, if you're thinking of becoming a patron, you don't have to be naked. It's okay. So don't worry about that. And uh, we're not naked for any of these things. So um, On the other hand, clothing is optional. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's down to the, the individual conscience of the individual patron. Um, so yeah. <clears throat> that, that's fine. Um, but keep it to yourself. That's cool. Anyway, uh, no, that was a great chat. I really, I really, really enjoyed chatting with Craig um, uh, about Project Cassandra. And I think it's one of those things. So I, I backed the project, uh, you know, as I said in the interview, um, but without... He bid it up. Just Well, I backed the project just to give him some money to support it rather than actually backing it to get the, get the game, thinking initially that it's not really my speed. It's not really the kind of thing I'm going to go for. But yeah, I did up my pledge in the, um, during the interview in order to uh, to actually get it. Because again, I probably won't get a chance to play it, but I'm interested enough to want to have it in my library. Um, so I think it was really good. And one of our uh, other patrons, Thomas, is looking at, or is planning a game um, to, to play this sometime soon. And I, I don't know whether we are going to 
stream that for him. We should ours, offer to, or whether he's uh, going to do that on his own platforms. But um, it will be definitely good to, for, for for interested viewers to tune in and have a look. Um, uh, yeah, on the ground that it'll be an early chance to see somebody somebody actually playing the game uh, properly. Yeah, and I think I think um, Craig has said in the Discord that it'll be the first time he's watched somebody else run the game. Yeah, other than his playtesters. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be really. So cool. um, so that'll be uh, really interesting. So yeah, we'll see if if Thomas is happy for it to be streamed. Um, he'll he'll either do it on his channel or ours, but we'll publicise it either way. And yeah, point absolutely. Yeah. Right. Cool. Let's crack on, shall we, with right. the next interview. Yeah, I'm going, to get, uh, I'm going to get myself a fresh towel and some water. Uh, jolly and then, good, yeah. And then, make, yeah. make it a longer towel this time, please, Dave. <laughs> Saying I'm going to get a fresh towel sounds like, what happened to the old one? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's not tell that story again. Let's instead go into the next room and meet uh, Christopher Gray. Hello and welcome. And I have to apologise. Christopher straight away because uh, Dave's wife has got him in a trap and there is a hammer in a very precarious position if he dared to do any more gaming this <coughs> evening. So uh, he can't do anything gaming related and he's had to send his apologies to this interview, but he would be here. He was very eager to talk to you. And our guest is Christopher Gray. Say hi, Christopher. Hi, Christopher. Oh, <laughs> I loved it already. <laughs> now, uh, it's very exciting because I think you are about well you you've started kickstarting you've you've raised the money so it's going to happen anyway uh, but this is the first non free league year zero engine game that i think has appeared on kickstarter is that true i i'm surprised to hear that uh, i i was a little surprised to see that the srd even existed um so well, maybe I can tell it's you a not bit about that because that was my idea um, <laughs> I suggested it as a stretch goal for Forbidden Forbidden Lands, and and they went with it. it. Although it's not an SRD, actually, I noticed you've linked to somebody putting it up and calling it an SRD. There is a document floating around, but haven't quite made it into a sort of web SRD. I don't know quite why yet, but yeah, but yeah, the OGL exists with 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 all the boilerplate and stuff. And I think you are the first person. I think there are a few other games I've seen released. I think there are some on drive through RPG and things like that that um, are uh, available, shall we say, but none have been kickstarted. So I think you might well have the honor of being the first kickstarter. Well, that's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, broadcast that. That's great. And so um, I, I want to talk more about that. Obviously, that's the main reason you're on here. But we always ask all our guests who are with us for the first time at least um, to introduce themselves a little bit. Now I've, I've heard you on happy Jack's uh, RPG podcast, which uh, for any of our listeners who aren't already listening to happy Jack's RPG podcast, it's great. It's kind of, it was my very first RPG podcast at a time when I, I wasn't there feels a lot like people sitting around a table in the pub having a good old chat. So I really enjoy it. Anyway, I've heard you there. I know a little bit about some of your history, but we always ask all our guests, tell us about your life in gaming. Yeah, that is a big question. And yes, uh, do do hang out with the Happy Jacks folks. They are they are good folk. And um, I, I've had the pleasure of sitting at their tables for a number of years and I definitely enjoy them and their uh, podcast. 
Uh, me, I, I guess uh, it started uh, earlier than I can remember, really. And I know that sounds trite, but it's kind of true. Like, I don't really remember my first game. It just feels like I've always been doing it. And that would have been uh, in in the early 90s. We, uh, it was a second edition D&D, I think, was the game that I um, really got in on. And then um, after that, went through a, a bad period of, of too many Rifts games. Um, but I was actually designing my own games back in high school and um, and for my friends. And, you know, I never really took it seriously beyond that. But it was um, all homebrew all through college. And um, it was it was basically a space opera setting that we used to play in. Uh, and that that was really it. Um, I, I ended up after college kind of uh, distancing myself from the role playing game world because there weren't anybody around me that would play. So. I ended up in uh, MMOs a lot for a long time. I actually got back into games back in um, when 5th edition was announced. And um, I did that because I wanted my kid, who then I think was, I don't really remember, I think he was six or seven. I wanted him to get into tabletop. So, that, And then once I realized um, all that I had missed in that period, I just kind of dove in and really, really uh, enjoyed the indie market and started writing right away. Um, published the, the the happiest apocalypse on earth was my first real game out in the market. Yeah. Now I I heard about you talking about that as it was kind of happening on Happy Jack. So shows you how long ago that was. Actually. I, I, yeah. I guess I should put a number on it. I really, you know, the years have all blended together, so I really can't say. But it was a, a few years ago. It must have been about four years ago. Um, and yeah, that was that uh, was sort of in the first wave of PBTA. I think on the tail end of the first wave. And so I, I got in there, um, actually was introduced to the system through Dave Cazay, who's also on the Happy Jacks crowd when he was doing um, Bedlam Hall, which is now no, kind of an old title too. But uh, that's how I even learned about it. And then Dave helped me with the first game. And that was um, that was a blast. And that's still around. And in fact, I'm probably going to be updating it soon because it feels a little dusty. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was first. And then after that was Great American Novel, which was my attempt at creating a framework for story-driven games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from that chassis, I created The Great American Witch, which is my most recent, and now into Temples and Tombs. The Great American Witch um, seems to have really caught the imagination, or maybe I'm just listening to too many people within the circle of the Happy Jets crew, but there, there seem to be a lot of people playing it. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I, I, I'm happy to hear that. I, I, that was the intent, not really because I want to sell games, which I do, but because I was trying to create an alternative to World of Darkness. I um, love World of Darkness. I played Werewolf back in the 90s and uh, Vampire and all the all the rest, and even played a bit of the 5th edition Vampire, um, Chronicles of Darkness, the whole list goes on. But I, I was trying to find um, a game that, that really wasn't about self-destruction and uh you know some of the darker themes mm. of, of those games and also there's there's sort of a male power fantasy that, that is ubiquitous in those games and and that's fine I, I i like playing them but i wanted an alternative and so the design one of the design goals for which was that it could be uh, a game that would have the same kind of breadth as the world of darkness games and i do intend to create more designs in that uh, under that banner um in fact working on one as we speak I plan on developing in that setting for quite some time for that reason. So I hope it is catching on. I mean, that was the idea. And that was based, as you say, on the framework of the great American novel. Um, and that itself is a kind of PBTA game. Is that fair to say? 
It's it's fair. It, if I were um, a PBTA player and I got the game thinking it was a PBTA game, I might be a little surprised or disappointed that there's enough deviation in the system that it, it's not it's not definitely I, I would I have a hard time categorizing it there. Um, I think it came from that mindset, though. And um, the the system was, is way more interested in character choices and motivations than in plot. And so um, that's one of the big uh, deviations from PBTA is that it, PBTA will drive the plot with the moves and, and the game. Whereas in Great American Novel, that's not really the case. It's um, it's the choices that you make uh, and your motivations that drive the game, not necessarily the moves. Yeah, so there is a big deviance there. Okay, so you've had two. Well, you've had three successes because I think um, there's a lot of people that love uh, the greatest apocalypse on earth. Not necessarily Disney, I understand. They, they're not. They're not massive fans. It could be. I don't know. I, they maybe they love. It. Actually, I've had a lot of people who work for Disney, Disney parks write me and say they just love the game because <laughs> it came from my love for Disney parks. That you know, yeah. you can definitely see it in there. But you've got you know. So those are three um, kind of PBTA games. You you you've pushed the limits of PBTA. But you're working, you know, that's a, that's a medium you're, you're you're happy with. And with the great American novel, you could almost do everything. Um, so why did you decide to look at Year Zero for Temples and Tombs? Yeah, what, what made you come to the Year Zero system? Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I did create a framework so that I would have to, you know, not stop. I wouldn't need to ship uh other other systems into my ideas <laughs> and so that was the whole point but then um it really the great american novel chassis is 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 for a particular experience it's meant to create literary games that are are way more interested in in characters and their motivations temples and tombs is is really trying to emulate the indiana jones movie or the mummy movie um and and that you know, cares way less about characters and more about plot. So the the system doesn't work. It's too slow moving. It's too thoughtful, um, mm. and it doesn't lend itself to action. So I needed something that was um, very good at action and and what I like to call latency. I actually borrowed this uh, from Misdirected Mark in their podcast when they do a lot of deep dives into game design, and I agree with the, their usage of the word latency which is the idea of how much time does it take before you drop the dice and, 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 and the, the story moves. So what, what is that adjudication process? Is there a long time or not? And, and, and with which and novel, the latency is pretty high mm. because you have to make decisions about the overall story and your character. And there's some discussion and give and take between the guide and the players. So that wouldn't work in an action game. So um, Year Zero is my favorite system out there. Uh, and I, and I, that was the first one that I came to. Uh, and I knew that uh, some of the innovations I saw in Alien were going to work really well here. And I also knew that the, um, uh, the way that uh, Tales from the Loop handled harm was going to work here because um, we, for reasons we can, in, can get into, but that the system was, was resilient enough to handle the adaptations I wanted to make. And it was also fast and easy to pick up. That those are really good reasons. Uh, let's just backtrack a bit. If you said that it's the, your favorite system out there, which is the answer I really wanted, but you gave me a far more intellectual answer as well, which is great. 
Um, but uh, Thomas, Thomas and I were discussing this a little bit beforehand, and I said, "Well, all you need to say is it's because it's the best." Um, but but no, you're going to some proper reasons as well. But which so within the the published games from Free League, uh, you mentioned Alien already and Tales from the Loop. Uh, have you played any of the other ones? Uh, Forbidden Lands uh, is a kick in the pants. I love that game. Yeah, and and then Basin. I have. Uh, only played one session of Basin, so I am not as immersed in as, as I, immersed in it as I want to be. But that's the game I want to campaign, and I just haven't gotten my group away from Great American Witch long enough to play Basin. Yeah, that's <laughs> your problem for making a really good game. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, I've got. We're getting into the technical questions now because okay. uh, there are some. You know, I I've only kind of read the rules. I haven't played it yet, but I'll tell you what, I really want to play it now. And that wasn't the intent. Oh, it was the intention to play it sometime, but I want to play it this week now and see if we can stream a show and, and, and get people to uh, to see it in action as well. It's, it really wants you um, to play it. I mean, yeah, it's marvellous. Um, but there are some differences, and I wanted to talk through some of those differences and, and some of the ways you're you're playing it. So let's deal with the harm, first of all. Harm, of course, is very much a PBGA term. Um, yeah. But uh, what you're avoiding here is actual damage. The the damage you get when you take catches, I think you call it. Uh, a catch is a little bit like um, the. Uh, oh, damn, I can't think what they're called in Tales from the Loop. Uh, conditions, I think that, conditions, well, yeah. that might, I might be pulling from. No, no, you are. It's conditions there and it's conditions as well in Vason. And yeah. there's a big difference between the ones in Vason and the ones in Tales from the Loop, which are the Vason ones are kind of damagey, either mm -hmm. mental damage or physical damage. And the ones from Tales of the Loop are basically wanting to go home to mum or to right. you, whoever your, your, um, your carer is and uh, play a scene out where you're eating soup or something like that to, to get back into power. So, this veers more in that direction, but in a pulpy sort of way. Can you tell us a bit more about your catches? Yeah, and it's, it's catch because we're trying to get, get the lingo out of, um, you know, formality because this is pulp. And so, yeah, it was the catch, you know, and that's, <laughs> that's the idea. But the, um, the, the mechanic is really about um, uh, emulating what happens in these action movies. And you have heroes uh, and no matter what happens to them, they never, act, they never actually get really hurt. You know, they never uh, get a bruises, cuts on the face, but not really. Yeah, that. it's right. all very cosmetic, you know, and yeah. you can even take bullets to the arm and you're fine. Um, and, uh, it, you know, the worst thing that happens is that maybe you're out of the scene, but you're back next in the next scene, just like nothing happened. So that that kind of thing, you, you really can't track damage if that's what you're going for, because at some point your character will get hurt and die. Well, that can't happen in this game. So I, I took from Tales from the Loop, which is the same idea because you can't kill kids. And so it was part of that design to make sure that the kids kids get consequences without actually hurting them. Um, and so I, I really just borrowed that, but then I, I made it more cinematic. So the idea is uh, if you play Tales from the Loop that, you know, when you, you sustain conditions and those conditions sort of stack, um, that you might be afraid or I forget what they are offhand, but but you, they'll, they'll stack up. Uh, in, in this game, the, uh, the conditions, or as they're called catches, happen in the moment in the action. So it'll be something like uh, a flipped script. So that moment in Temple of Doom when Indiana Jones is running after the bad guy, and then the very next moment he's running back and the bad guys are chasing him, 
Mm-hmm. You rolled poorly. That was a flipped script catch. And that, um, and that will still deduct from your dice pool, uh, but it's not going to be a, it's not going to remain as a narrative situation like it would a condition. It's just in that moment, it was flipped. And there, there are several of those, but they're cinematic. They're, you know, something has to happen to make your character uh, fumble or stumble or, or, or do that thing that happens in pulp movies where things just go wrong. And you do have, I guess, if there's that point where the story is, you know, has led to you being shot in the arm or something, and you've had all your other catches, then you could say, I've got to spend the night in hospital. And it takes you out of that scene and mm-hmm. restart the story in the next morning. Yeah, so, really, the last option is that you must be saved. Because um, mm-hmm. that happens in the movies too. There's always that moment like, there is no way you know, Brendan Fraser is going to get out of this. And so that's the moment that somebody comes in and saves him, you know, and, and if that can't happen, then yeah, out of the scene, maybe Brendan fell into an, you know, a river and is now going to get picked up later in the next scene. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's sort of a last resort. Gotcha. And um, now you mentioned that you keep, although the, the, the narrative doesn't turn into a long chase sequence or something, if you flip the script, you do have that uh, negative on your dice. Right, um, and that's on all your rolls from now on, is it? That's right, until you can uh, until you can rest. And rests are, are snappier. I mean, a rest might be something that happens during combat if you just spend a moment just to catch your breath. You then you can clear a catch. Um, and once you've done that, then it then it takes longer and longer. And there's also uh, talents and things that people can do to help clear those catches. Excellent, excellent. Now the other the other big sort of modification, and I can see. Uh, where it comes from uh, and that's luck which is very similar but also very different to stress in the alien uh, game so uh, can you tell me more about how luck works yeah i loved that mechanic of alien that made that, that just made me smile so it, it, it reminded me a lot of one of the things that i liked about um well, I've forgotten the game, so maybe I'll move on. Oh, the fifth edition vampire kind of does this too with blood dice, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and um, I just love the idea. It, however, I think it applies not as stress, but as luck in a pulp game because you are pushing your luck essentially every time that happens. And um, so you accrue luck uh, just like you would stress. And then uh, just like stress, there are things that can clear that tracker. Whenever you accrue it, you're adding dice to the pool. And then when the dice hit one, boom, you're out of luck. And then something happens in the narrative to demonstrate that. Uh, so yeah, that's and there's and luck also plays into other aspects that I think are a little unique to what the other free league games do. And one of those is um, uh, almost using luck as a ta- talent barter for some classes. Like you know, for example, if I'm a soldier, I don't need to roll my luck dice if I'm getting shot at because that's just something I know how to do. Yeah. So there's, there's sort of variance in, in how the, the luck dice work. But yeah, that's that's a general idea. Then there's another element to them is using them as, and I pulled this one from Call of Cthulhu, but using the luck as um, as its own sort of attribute. Mm-hmm. So when you've accrued luck, let's say you have three luck because some things have gone that way, um, you can actually uh, roll those three luck if you want something to happen in the narrative. Like whenever a player looks up and says, well, uh, is there a rope bridge across this gorge? I don't know. Yeah, roll luck. A C. You know, and if um, and if you botch it, then you're out of luck. 
And no, definitely not. And by the way, there are crocodiles down there, you know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's uh, that was that was a lot of fun. I think putting that muff, muff mechanic in there. Brilliant. No, I really like that. Um, you mentioned other changes as well. Some are, I'm going to have to bring my lawyers in on a couple of those changes, and that's on the stats because my co-host and I have been working on uh, a Western theme game for over a year, and we've got grit and we've got quick. And they're ours. Um, but you've changed those stats around, and uh, I'll forgive you, uh, Grit and Quick, because your, your mental stats, as it were, are very different from ours. Um, and they're wits, and they're also style, which um, when I first read it, I thought, I don't remember Pulp being immensely stylish. Some places are immensely stylish, like Obi-Wan's in Singapore, for example, in, in the second um, uh, Indiana Jones movie. But style, you know, is it about saving your hat? Uh, can you tell us a bit more about style? Yeah, style is, you know, the, the Harrison Ford aspect of your character. Um, and it's it's really what we're talking about are social skills. So these are, you know, uh, the, the skills that are, are associated with them are sway, scare, and trick. Mm. Um, uh, but it's it's that it it's that. A, a quite a kind of immeasurable quality of your character to be able to influence other people. Mm-hmm. And that could be, uh, you know, because of your fashion, because of your posture, because of your presence. Um, and, and that's definitely there in the pulp genre. That's, that's a big deal. I mean, what is your, um, your ability to, it, 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 what's that, that cockeyed smile you get that convinces the other person to do something that you want? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just got to go back to luck though, because one of our viewers has asked us a question about that. Uh, and I don't know the answer to this. Do NPCs have luck as well? Can the villain use luck to escape? Yes. Um, however, there's tiers of villains. I mean, you're going to have your your base uh, sort of lackey or grunt or goon that that just has one catch, and that is, you know, in the scene or not after they get hit or whatever. Uh, but then you have a more complex, harder, you know, boss type style characters, and they. They have all of the same mechanics that a player character would, and they have uh, they have luck, and they also have uh, catches. So the more cut catches they have, and the more luck they have, the harder they are. Also, the uh, the beasts and some of the bigger ones will have uh, you know sort of like an alien does, where this you know if they hit, this is what they do. Right. Yes. So, so that random random attack sort of thing. That right. People right. love with aliens. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, uh, if we uh, and haven't announced it yet, so you're the first to hear this. Ooh, but, uh, it's a scoop. <laughs> we're we're hitting ten thousand, and and that I've already agreed to do another adventure, which is great. But I, I was trying to figure out what to do for the fifteen thousand, and I'm going to announce on fifteen thousand that we're going to blow that out a bit because right now it's sort of a toolkit where you can kind of engineer your own bad guys and monsters and beasts. Um, but now I'm going to go ahead and just do here are some monsters, beasts, and bad guys in organizations and do a good 20 pages of that just so that you can have those cool moves in there, you know. I've got to say, uh, moving on, to, uh, there's, I think, one more thing I want to talk about uh, before, but since we've brought up the toolkits, I'm loving your adventure toolkit at the end, which, again, you see varieties of this in, in most of the Free League games, that, you know, some D66 tables to say, Who's your client? What's your mission? Where is it? Sort of thing. What's the reward? But you've got some great advice on creating stories. Uh, so, what is your MacGuffin? Um, well, don't let me explain it. You, you tell us. Uh, you've got MacGuffins. You've got locations. 
And I just love some of the examples of those. Yeah, the idea is um, to put hard scene frames in this, um, which is missing in Free League, but it's pretty common in PBTA uh, where and protocol and some of the indie games where you you uh, you just you don't just play the game; you play within a certain um, uh, a boundary or limitation. So, like this is a this kind of scene, this is mm-hmm. a that kind of scene, and and it sort of keeps everybody on the same page on what to get out of that moment. Um, I do it a lot and which is actually really great for this as a game. So I kind of just took what worked in which and put it in here. And that was the idea that, you know, we're not just going to jump in and play. We're going to start with a cold open because that's how these movies work. You're in the middle of an action scene. Something is chasing you. Something went wrong. Go. And this is a uh, full narrative control for the players to introduce their characters and how they handle it, but completely unrelated to the adventure of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go into, um, yeah, you need to, when you're building the uh, adventure, you uh, yeah, what you have to decide the MacGuffin. And there's a bunch of tables for that. But there has to be something that you're after. Um, and then you define your your set pieces that you want to use. And set pieces are, are called that so that we get away from the idea of, oh, we need to be in a location and more. And we need to be some in a really cool, interesting location. You know, why, why be in a... Um, shopping mall in suburbia when you can be in a bazaar in the middle east you know and try to make it more cinematic um and then there are the threats that are after the MacGuffin. there are threats that are after you and um and so there's there's a race to get to that um and then there's the what what's called the uh, the dungeon which is where the MacGuffin is being held and you know where the final act will take place and it has to be in a place that is big enough for a huge chase or a <laughs> So, um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of, and then you frame it into scenes on top of that, sort of chapters or however you want to phrase it. Um, and then, and then you can kind of create the flow that it, so there's a, a beginning, a middle, an end, and it always wraps up in the same way. So it, it feels to me like it's a really good toolkit for making adventures, right? even, you know, a beginning GM. And I just want to go back actually to something you said quite early on in the book about why you'd chosen Free League um uh, the year zero system and one of the things you say is it's 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 an accessible system and i really think it is but but a toolkit like this at the end of it makes it really accessible i feel like i could give it to a kid and they could build an adventure i mean my boy when he was young he loved indiana jones and indiana jones birthday party when he was five i think um and yeah i'm sure he would have leapt into this uh, very quickly. He's upstairs playing Blades in the Dark now, so uh, <laughs> I'm not sure whether I can sell him on any freely games yet, but there we go. Um, but uh, yeah, that, it's a very accessible toolkit, but you also give us adventures. There's a great um, sort of introductory adventure in the beta, and I have to say to everybody, if you back this Kickstarter at any level, if you go to the first update, you can download a pretty full version of this game, your, your beta rules which is where the artwork on our screen comes from. Um, and there's a great, uh, a really good sample uh, adventure there, which I really want to play. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, particularly my players. Uh, you've already mentioned that you're going to have another adventure coming out, and there was one, at the Yolk Island one, which, which I've got to say I love, and I want to talk a little bit about imperialism. In yes, moment. definitely. Yes. But uh, I love the Oak Island, uh, the idea of the Oak Island one, so I'm very keen to see what that one's all about. 
But we have got a question from one of our um, uh, viewers, which I think is pertinent here. Will you be continuing to bring out more published adventures for this on a regular basis or a long campaign? Uh, definitely. Um, one thing I've learned from marketing is that more content is always good. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just logistically, the uh, I, I've got I have tons of ideas, and um, I would like to see a, a, a larger campaign to to see how it works. I mean, I haven't done a large campaign with this. It's always been very serialized, um, different moment, different campaign, one shot oriented. Although it could do it could do a campaign. So yeah. that would be uh, something I'm, I'd be interested in, in producing for sure. So, imperialism. Yes, this is a good topic for this genre. Yeah, so you write a little bit about the 30s, and you say one of the reasons why the 30s is good is because the, um, the imperialism is declining. And I thought, as I read that paragraph, I thought, yeah, that, that's kind of brushing it under the carpet a bit because, you know, Speaking as one of those declining empires, we were still being pretty damn imperialist in most of the places. And frankly, just, you know, walking in as a white guy into many of these places, you know, you start dissecting Indiana Jones, indeed. And, you know, particularly number two, there's quite a lot of pretty heavy Orientalism there. Definitely. Um, but then at the end of it, you say something which I love. And maybe I should let you put it in your own words now, but I can quote if you want. Uh, I, I'm guessing the, the the moment you're talking about, but yeah, we we know better. We yeah. know better now, so we don't have to make stories like that anymore. Uh, and, and just to clarify, imperialism in the decline compared to what it was, it, it, and um, the reason this period works for this genre is because we're in between world wars. Um, yeah, there's still a lot of uh, unknowns out there, and and areas of the world that are very inaccessible, and we don't have to worry yet about stepping into the middle of a war. Um, but there's, there's these, these, these imperialism themes that you really can't get away from when you're in this era. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, going into other, either you're going into other pla people's places and stealing their things and put it in a museum after slaughtering them, or you're trying to save them in a way that they don't want to be or need to be saved and completely oblivious to all of the cultural historical nuances of that society. So the prescription is don't do any of that. You, you don't have to, you don't have to use temples and tombs to be historically accurate. It's not, it's, it's a genre, it's a field, it's an experience. Uh, the adventures you design should not be about subjugating other populations and they shouldn't be about stealing things and putting them in museums, even though that's the movie we saw. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the adventures we're putting forward aren't really like that at all. Um, yeah. It's, no, uh, so can you give us, without spoiling it, can you give us a little bit about your ideas for Oak Island? Because that one I haven't seen at all. Well, that one is coming from uh, Stacy Delaforno, who uh, is, is writing that. And they have let me in on a bit. But I don't know the whole story yet, and there are lots of spoilers. In fact, they asked me to, you know, is it all right to really talk about what the big reveal is in the description? Because there's a big reveal, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, I guess we need to know what the reveal is to sell it, and that's that uh, Shakespeare's works are are in the island, and and there's there's drama around that. And Oak Island, if you if you don't know, is um, 
That's a fascinating topic. I think there's an entire docu-series about it. it. It's something I do know, but tell, tell our viewers. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's an uh, island off of Nova Scotia, and there was uh, a couple of teenagers back in the late 1800s who found what appeared to be a burial site for treasure. And uh, long story short, people have been trying to find that treasure over millions upon millions of dollars and decades and decades, <laughs> and it keeps flooding and... Uh, and it's it's always been this big mystery of what's there. So yeah, it feels very right for the for the genre, the treasure hunting genre, but it puts it firmly in uh, almost an anti-imperialist stance, as it were, because here, if you do get the treasure, you're taking it off one of the old empires, right? Um, which is what <laughs> excites me about it. And even the Egyptian one that's in the game now that, that you have seen is about returning something and not about taking it. Yeah, and I love that something as well. Again, I don't want to spoil it for my players until they're sitting at the table, but um, I just loved that something. I don't know. Is there such a thing? Is that something or is that? No. no, Let's let's hope not. Let's hope not. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's Um, the point. You can pull things from mythology and make them real. There's nothing to say. Nazis. Uh, while While we're on the subject of imperialism, I was hoping there'd be more opportunity to punch Nazis in this game, uh, being as that's something that uh, your man uh, in the fedora used to do. But there doesn't seem to be all that many Nazis. Are we going to have the Nazis at least in one of the adventures? I don't see why not. I mean, if you're in 1937, you know, Eastern Europe, you're going to run into Nazis. Yeah. Um, that is That was a design choice. I, I, trying to yeah. keep it as... Um, pol- politically is the wrong word trying to keep it just as agnostic as possible so that it can work in an evergreen way. Um, yeah. Indiana Jones punched Nazis and that's totally fine. The game can do that. Uh, mm. but, but the, uh, uh, the, 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 the set pieces uh, we're trying, we're trying to get away from history a bit and let's mm. get this focus more on the, the experience of pulp. And that might be a, a more of a, a distant nod to some of the original pulp that came out and, you know, the magazines and whatnot, where it was always just, something ridiculous happening somewhere ridiculous yeah doc savage and that sort of stuff right um, i remember as well robin laws um people said why aren't there any nazis in feng shui and he he'd made that very clear distinction in that yes they're a they're a bad guy but they actually come with a load of other baggage that i don't want to be part of my stories even though you think it's quite a simplistic uh, moral enemy to uh, to defeat you know, there, there's there's lots of really distasteful things that we don't want uh, there. So, yeah, yeah, and we and especially with uh, events and 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 the world in recent years. I mean, there's a lot that you don't want to. It, it, this is raw right now for a lot of people, and this is supposed to be a, a, a romp, not uh, dealing with major issues. Game, I have games that deal with major issues, but this is not one of them. And so, I, I try to keep a lot of that out, just so that you can play the game without worrying about. Uh, scraping off a scab that you're trying to deal with or trying to heal from. Brilliant. And another backer who's obviously read the beta is uh, asking a question that I don't necessarily know the answer to. So can you tell us, Christopher Gray, how you handle consent? Uh, Player versus player, I I assume uh, they're talking about. Um, The... The style one that we just talked about has these sort of influence skills. And Mm -hmm. the the idea is that, you know, you can influence people to do things because you charmed them or whatever it is. 
Um, but we need to move away from the idea of, of, of because I rolled well, you have to do this thing. Yeah. And, and that goes for NPCs and for players, but mostly for players where, you know, obviously NPCs are not going to do anything that they're not inclined to do. You know, that you can't make them do something that they wouldn't do. Uh, but players get to ultimately decide whether or not their character will do that. Uh, the other games that I've designed are actually built-in mechanics for that. Like you get incentivized to go along with somebody if they beat you in a role in some mm-hmm. way. Your zero doesn't really have a, a elegant it, way to do that. No, I do find actually that's the clunkiest rule in the year zero system when it's a manipulation role. And it's something like they say, well, it's not mind control. Yeah. <laughs> but either you have to do it or you, know, you have to do it but ask for something in return or you have to fight the person that's there. I thought, these are not the two responses you have. I mean, they are two of the responses one might have to being asked to do something they don't want to do. But, but that's it. Shouldn't be that that uh, that um, that binary effectively. And uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, so, how do you deal with it in this game? Yeah, there's more work to be done on that. I don't think the solution that's in the game is very good, really, ultimately, because it is up to the player at that point. But the, the rule is, it's up to the player. Mm-hmm. Uh, not up to you. If you, it, what I mean by up to the player is up to. Uh, if you roll dice against another player, you can't make that other player do anything with their character that they don't want to do. So right. uh, you know you can use the dice. So I'll take the dice under advisement with making my decision. Right. Okay. And Thomas is actually saying that's not what he was asking about. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> he's talking about uh, safety, which oh, yeah, safety. I, th- yeah. those safety rules, which seeing those on like page two, made me think, oh no. I mean, we we talk about this sort of stuff on the podcast. We've talked about it before, but we haven't actually put that into our beta rule set for uh, Tales of the Old West. So, so yeah, you've made it very clear. You're talking about lines and veils, right? You're, you're saying the GM should be responsible for asking everybody, you know, uh, to write on a piece of paper, not publicly. Right. Yeah, and this is this is pulled from. My other games, I, I always have a front and center. My other games tend to deal with uh, topics that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and Temples and Tombs are indifferent. And when we talk about imperialism, we talked about, I mean, this is an era of misogyny. This is an era of, era of racism. This is all kinds of, um, I try to make clear in the game that we're not, we, we, we don't play those. We don't have yes. to, shouldn't, this isn't about that. There are games that deal with racism and misogyny really well. And if you want to explore those themes, play those games. Um, you know, Bluebeard's Bride is great. If you want to understand misogyny, play it all day. But <laughs> that's not Temples and Tombs. So, uh, so the the uh, the uh, the safety rules are designed to, uh, in addition to that, uh, set down what might be triggers for people. You know, I, I jokingly put snakes in there as an example, but there might be something in in a play experience that you just isn't good for you. Like you don't want to deal with it. I don't really. I, I guess I, I had people in my party that don't like spiders, don't want to deal with spiders. Okay, no spiders. Or it might be something uh, more, you know, uh, uh, terrible than that. I don't want, they don't want any kind of sexual violence. Maybe it's uh, no, no animals. Uh, in, in any of my games, all dogs have plow armor. <laughs> or the dog, you know, so whatever those might be. And you can just discreetly write them down. Um, the uh, director then takes them and has a master list for everybody. So, okay, these are the themes we're going to avoid um, or not have. And these are the themes that we can't have, but we don't need to spend a lot of time on it. We don't need our violence to be gratuitous, for example. And then, uh, and then that's all done before you start playing. But yeah, lines uh, where you say, I just don't want to feature that. Veils as well, where we don't mind that sort of stuff. And that could be, as you said, even something like 
um, gun violence, you know, right. which, which a lot of people think is kind of the core of a role-playing game. If you can't get a shoot anybody, what are you going to do? But people might not want to be seen. They might be happy with that happening off-screen, as it sure. were, as it used to in loads of films once upon a time. Um, but uh, so those are your veils, and then you've got that list. Of, of things to avoid, and then you also say back that up with the X card as well. Yeah, and also use the X card if you forgot to put something on the list. X, put it on the list. <laughs> you know, and it's and so you're covered. You know, and um, and and out of the gates before you even start. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter. How well is it going now? You mentioned you're almost up to fifteen thousand dollars. Well, it's up. It's it's going to hit ten, which is the first. I, I didn't go, I didn't go into this with any stretch goals because I just you know all I wanted to do was raise enough money to print the books. That was it. Uh, but suddenly it went past our goal. And so I had to think through seriously about how to extend it. Uh, and we're so early in the process still. So uh, I, I kind of think it could go to 15. So I need to come up with another stretch goal. But right now we're about to hit 10, which means we get a new adventure, which could be codenamed Dirigibles and Dinosaurs, because that's basically mm-hmm. what it's it's, uh, it's going to be an adventure about, you know, going into the Lost Andes to find the Lost World with your Zeppelin. Excellent. Yeah. Can't beat that for a pop right. adventure, can you? Yeah. I think well, I saw I saw a lot of pressure for that kind of story. Potentially an auto gyro. I might go with an auto gyro instead of a Zeppelin, <laughs> but that's that's a matter of personal choice. Um, or or so, a house yeah. tied to balloons. So that's another stretch goal you've got there. Um, your your this isn't as well. In terms of a physical product, I must admit I've only backed for PDF because I generally do put my ketchup for over there. Is there a physical product? Yes, this is um, a digest size hardcover book. Mm-hmm. And um, that uh, Gallant Knights Publishing, you know, we went into this wanting to do offset printing uh, for domestic instead of print on demand mm-hmm. because um, we are both a little frustrated with not having games and cons and bookstores and things and you know with the pandemic hopefully wrapping up soon yes. we would like to have physical product so uh, we went in that with with that in expectation of mind but we are going to do print on demand through drive through on um, for international just because the way shipping is these days we can't predict and it's just going to be too costly too costly for people outside the u.s yeah so um so we're going to do it that way and uh yeah there's a physical and there's also the pdf excellent right so pdf for me uh but it'll be interesting you know there'll be people on this side of the Atlantic, who, uh, uh, who might well go for print of demand, but we've got, you know, most of our listeners are actually over on your side of the Atlantic, so it'd be great that they can get a, a bookstore version, a friendly local gaming store version as well. Um, just another point on, you know, here you are though, going, uh, bringing out the very first, I think, very first Year Zero engine game that isn't produced by Free League onto Kickstarter. And you're up against Free League doing their first game in quite a long while that isn't Year Zero system, and it's the One Ring, and it seems to be sucking up everybody's dollars. Uh, I, I I saw that, and I and I had I, I made an expletive as I looked at my phone. Um, <laughs> it was uh, I, I was expecting ZineQuest, and uh, Alan at Gallant Night, and I kind of talked it over. It's like, well, okay, we're probably going to be absorbed a bit, but. Um, at the same time, I have a pipeline, so I didn't really want to delay it, and I was willing to have a smaller Kickstarter as a result. But then Freely comes out with One Ring, which I, I knew was coming, but I didn't know it was coming in February. <laughs> and then um, in addition to that, uh, Monty Cook put out a big fifth edition release, and then there was um, 
Oh, something else that hit. Oh, Pathfinder uh, came out with their Savage World edition. And and I was thinking of the Venn diagram. I'm like, these are all of my audiences. <laughs> yeah. And then I have the indie crowd and Zine Quest. And I'm like, they're all being bombarded with the Kickstarter they were all waiting for. And then that's when I launch. I was, <laughs> well, you know, it, it's okay. It worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to be working out now. One wonders how well it would have done if you'd, you'd hit a... Uh, a, a free window, or is there such a thing as a free window on on, on Kickstarter? Now? It's it used to be, but it's hard to judge anymore. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's really hard. I, I know that um, I I had considered doing it in December, which would have been really odd. But I was looking ahead and thinking, well, everybody's home right now. You know, maybe they'd be more interested in crawling Kickstarter in, in a month when I normally wouldn't launch. But then I thought, ah, eh, no, no, I'll just do it in February, and here we are. Mm. Yeah, well, there we go. There we go. Um, well, we're really pleased to have you on the program, and maybe we can have you back when some more of your adventures come out, or if you do that campaign. Definitely. It'd be, it'd be great to talk to you. Um, well, thanks very much for coming on the show at this short notice as well. Um, but uh, we'll, we hope to have you back some other time. Well, the first thing I should say, and I did mean to say this before, uh, before we started talking about nakedness in the hammam. Uh, and that is that this particular hammam where we interviewed Christopher Gray must have been on an aerodrome or something because there's some really loud prop engines going through uh, that um, uh, that interview. And I tried my best to minimise them in the edit and frankly I failed. So apologies for those, but I think you can hear us through them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a really interesting chat and an interesting take on um, on using the, the Year Zero engine as something that's really accessible to quickly get into the adventure, uh, which I think yeah. is a really nice little touch um, and a good a good sort of um, yeah a good recognition actually of what the what the Year Zero engine can offer in terms of uh, in terms of gameplay. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. He's you know he's come from a game system called the Great American Novel, which mm, is yeah very literary and shall we think sort of internal and he's gone for something very procedural here with um, with um, the pulpy feel of this and he realizes that this is the system to do that which is great mm. and you know I think though he was surprised um, I had to tell him obviously that it was my idea the whole OGL thing um, because <laughs> I say that every time every, um, every opportunity you get yeah I think he was kind of surprised, having already enjoyed the game, that um, that there was an OGL available. So, mm. uh, so it's great that he worked in it, and he beat us to it. He beat us to Kickstarter. Yeah, well, we we haven't been very fast, have we, Slad? Sadly. No, no. Um, but we have we have done. You know, we are doing and have done a lot of work on Tales of the Old West. So, I think uh, you know it's going to be good when we get it there. But um, you know, we do need to focus on it a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, some of the things in this that I really enjoyed, I think, you know, the whole pulp adventure feel, Raiders of the Lost Ark feel, I think is really nice. I like the idea of what he's done with conditions, um, making them catches. I think that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's a nice, that's a nice touch and kind of being less permanent or more temporary, uh, in terms yeah. of the way well, they I play think out. The dice effect is, um, yeah, his, his, his attitude to resting and getting your dice back is, is different as well. I think it's shorter. Uh, but also that you know the idea that the what happens in the story when that condition happens isn't actually a permanent feature. That's just a 
you know, um, something to uh, to add colour to the story. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, so it's uh, it's on Kickstarter. Um, how much time has he got left to go? I think we've got... Ooh, At the time that's... of recording, we've got 17 days to go. Yeah. So there's a couple of weeks. We could possibly even have uh, bumped this interview into the next episode. Bit late now. But though, that might it? be the right time to talk about what's happening in the next episode, Dave. Did you like my segue? <laughs> Nicely done. Well done. <laughs> and that's and that's not me marking the track for editing purposes. That's me actually clapping for a good segue. Well, well done, Matthew. <laughs> um, yeah, so next time we have... This has been a bumper episode, particularly for our new, our new format where it's uh, fortnightly. But that's great. I don't mind that at all. But next time... Um, so one of the things that we are looking at next time, and well, one of the things we've been talking about quite a lot lately, is um, historical settings in role-playing games. And there's a number of aspirational or in-development uh, historical hacks for a number of Year Zero games. So I'm going to do a little... Uh, my homework is to do a little bit of uh, pre-thinking and write an essay on that topic. And then we are going to invite our good friend from the podcast, Thomas Bolton, to come and talk with us uh, about that topic on the, on the next show. Partly because... Cool, and if as listeners very... you want to do your homework, then you could check out our character creation uh, session that we, we put on our YouTube stream with Thomas running it uh, of Vason in Meiji, Japan. Yeah, so, uh, and it's, it's, the game is, is excellent, and Thomas's historical knowledge and cultural knowledge is, uh, or at least it seems to me, to be absolutely outstanding. So um, yeah. it gave a great feel. So have a listen to that. And yeah, we will talk about historical hacks in Year Zero Engine uh, a bit more detail next time around. But um, have we got anything else already lined up for the next show? Uh, no, that's it. It's, it's, it's one thing. But there'll be more from the world of gaming as well to accompany that. And, and, then, um, and then historical hacks. Excellent. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's just say goodbye then. So it's uh, thanks for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. May the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.